Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at chapters 13 and 14 of our Catching Fire read-through. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, why don't you give us a recap of what happens in these chapters? So, Katniss seeks to escape the news that she will be a tribute once again. When she starts thinking about what it will be like in the arena, she remembers that Hamish or Peta will be there as well, and visits Hamish to have a drink, and asks Hamish to help her save Peta this time in the games. She wakes up hungover and breaks down to her mom and Prim. She visits Hamish again, where Peta announces that he's cutting them both off from alcohol, and that they're going to start acting like careers to ensure that two people will be coming home. They train for months, but Katniss doesn't get the chance to say her goodbyes, because after she is reaped, and Peta volunteers for Hamish, they're taken directly under guard to the train. They watch the other reapings. Then, after awakening from a nightmare, Katniss is comforted by Peta, and they watch the tape of Hamish's games together. They see Hamish and Maisley Donner reaped, interviewed, and then the games begin. Though she allies with Hamish for a time, Maisley is ultimately killed by a flock of birds, and Hamish barely survives the final battle by using the force field at the end of the arena against his final opponent. Back in the present, Katniss realizes how clever and troublesome Hamish is, and feels more confident that together, they'll be able to ensure Peta survives this time. Hamish is clever and troublesome. Right? Yeah. Both of them are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is what brings them together. (laughs) Well, why don't we move into our striking moments? What really stood out to you in this read-through of these chapters? The really interesting moment for me was when I was reading about how Katniss wanted to put on a brave, strong face for her family, Mm. like she did last time, but she ultimately broke down in tears. Reading through, especially after having all these conversations and the conversations we had about the first book, that moment hit me a lot more powerfully because, you know, she's trying to be strong like she was last time, but the circumstances are so different this time. And that's true for her character, but also narratively. You know, we talk a lot about how her volunteering for Prim is an example of narrative agency, where Katniss is propelling the narrative forward by choosing to be a part of the Hunger Games. Here, she's not. She actually is not having that. This is something that is a response to her earlier actions. Uh, So it's still based off of her agency in a way, but she's not choosing to go to the games the same way she was before. And so I can understand a greater sense of despair when she's not doing this to protect someone. She's having this done to her because of actions that she's taken in the past. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because she has showed such strong agency, even in a system that tries to take it away from her in all of these different ways, then they're trying to take it away from her ultimately again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point because it's it's fairly brief, really, but it just struck me this time, I think, because of the readings that we're having, because of how much we're engaging with what these things mean for Katniss and what they mean for the narrative. And this is, I think, a really great example of how, even though, yeah, Katniss and Peter are going back in the games just like where they were in the first book, it's not just like they were in the first book. There is a lot of difference in the context and in the narrative of this book. That moment really highlights that. Mm, yeah, definitely. That moment stuck out to me too. And one of the things was she used the word indulgence Mm. okay fine like i'll be sad today after she broke down and i'll 
be comforted, but the fact that that's what she considers an indulgence, when we think of the word indulgence, it's like, ooh, some decadent dessert or, you know, yeah, something like absolutely. that. It's just something we want, not emotions that anyone would have yeah. at, at this news. So, yeah, that, that was interesting to me. And it was also just nice to see that her mom and sister are finally taking care of her in a way that she's been taking care of them for so many years on end. And and now she has a moment where she's able to, to just let them take care of her. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's really where she reflects how much Prim has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that's something that we've seen throughout this book already, this is really where it hits home for Katniss, that it's not just the girl who I was trying to take care of nine months ago when I was reached last time, but this is already a very new dynamic. Yeah, and it also probably a lot of people could relate to, it's one thing when you're viewing yourself in a certain way versus when you're viewing someone that you feel like you need to protect. Mm -hmm. Because Prim is older than Katniss was when she started hunting for the family when she was the one who kept them alive when she was signing up for tesserae like she was the one doing all these things and trying to sell prim's old baby clothes like at age 11 Mm -hmm. and 12 and now prim is 12 or 13 and so yeah it's it's interesting to see yeah yeah i had three other really small striking moments okay um the first is when katniss passes out and she drops the bottle of liquor that she's holding. And the quote that she has is, she hears breaking glass and she says, this seems appropriate as I've obviously lost my grip on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just such an interesting quote because she is writing in the first person present tense. And so she's kind of drunk while she's saying that. <laughs> and yet it's still... So biting and humorous. <laughs> this is Katniss. Exactly. <laughs> this is one of the reasons we love her. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, just a, a great line. The second was when they were describing the arena that Hamish was the victor for. Mm-hmm. They describe how it has a meadow and a giant mountain and a woods. And so I found out that woods is singular, apparently. <laughs> It's not (laughs) the woods or some woods, it's a woods, which just kind of blew my mind and I had to stop reading for a bit to kind of reread that. Is it always the case? You can also say like, there's some beautiful woods behind here would probably also make sense. But apparently you can also say there's a beautiful woods behind here, which... Uh, Yeah, I didn't notice that, but that's weird. Yeah, exactly. The English language is awful. (laughs) And then the final thing I have is just that Katniss explicitly says that she cares nothing about finding out what the mood of the people in the capital are when <laughs> these things are happening. And I just find that so funny because we care so much about it based <laughs> off these conversations. <laughs> We're always like, how does this affect the capital? I'll totally. probably bring that up later on today. Yeah. And yet <laughs> totally. Katniss has no time for it, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we care about it because we're from the capital. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. Uh, What about you? What are your striking moments? Yeah, one that I had was just, I had forgotten that Madge snuck 
some of her dad's capital newspapers mm. to Katniss, which I think is just such a small, it's, it was just like part of one sentence, yeah. you know, but it does show so much agency mm-hmm. on Madge's part and that she is taking actions that could put her in danger, but she's doing it anyway. Yeah, that's such a great moment because it also really reveals a lot about who has access to what information mm-hmm. and uh, the value of information and, and all these other kinds of both societal and individual moments that, yeah, as you mentioned, are just one small part of the sentence, but still illustrates a lot more. But yeah, just, oh, so interesting. Absolutely. Another I had was, I think it's a very small moment, but I think it is maybe showing some growth on Effie's part. I mean, I guess we could also interpret it as not, but the fact that she has the servers on the train take her wine away Mm. because Hamish isn't drinking and he's trying not to drink. Such a great moment. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a small act of not just kindness, but like showing a compassion and showing an awareness of someone else is probably having a hard time with this. Hamish isn't saying, I don't think, that he's having a hard time with it, but she notices. And so, you know, we could say it's the polite thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why, but I don't know. No, I, I, I think it is a, a moment of growth and that she cares about these people a bit more than she did previously. Absolutely. And that moment hit me too because... You know, earlier in this book, what we saw as the culture of the capital, which Effie represents to a large extent, is defined by this horrifying excess, this Mm -hmm. throwing up so that you can have more, so you can consume more, you know, this hedonism. And so for her to choose to go without, for her to choose to abstain because it might make someone else feel like she's in solidarity with them, like, that is a huge deal, I think, for, for someone in her position. Yeah, I mean, we know the prep team wouldn't think of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's very much like, also, Effie's kind of being like team mom, which is also <laughs> like, let's all get matching accessories and we can really look like a team. It's <laughs> quite cute. I mean, that is that is also a sweet thing. Yeah. But like, she knows that at least one of these people is not walking away from this. Yeah. And you know, wanting to do something in solidarity that they can take with them into the arena. Mm-hmm. And like you said, growth, because the previous time she didn't think of herself as part of a team with the tributes. Mm-hmm. She saw herself as hoping to grow from here and go on to a better district. Yeah. Now she sees herself as belonging in a way that I think, yeah, is, is powerful. Yeah, she seems like she feels something for district 12 now or at least these three people and does some of it have to do with her like it actually has it was a big victory it was a historic victory yeah it's still not perfect she doesn't understand what the mockingjay means to katniss yeah (laughs) or the fact that katniss wouldn't care that she had a wig (laughs) specially made to be in association with her but um, imagine how long it took like imagine how much she was chomping at the bit to get to say that until (laughs) Peta mentioned her wig yeah (laughs) i know this is a trying time for them so i'm not gonna say anything but if they mention exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah but why don't we move into our from another point of views 
This is where we are talking about scenes or something that happens from a point of view other than Canis's. Yeah, so the main one that I have is is Hamish. I mean, it's this is a big Hamish section. Absolutely. Although I wasn't even thinking about it in regards to his... Games? His games. Oh, interesting. But actually, the beginning of these chapters, when Hamish tells Katniss that she could live a hundred lifetimes and still wouldn't deserve PETA. I think this read-through, for the first time, I really saw Hamish as reacting to their reactions here, mm-hmm. where he had already made a biting comment about how it took her a long time to address the fact that she wouldn't be alone in the arena. That this is not just news about her and her going back into the arena, but it's also news about two other members of her family, essentially. And how PETA immediately responded to that. That was his first concern, was to ensure that Katniss would make it out alive again. And that Hamish, you know, would do whatever he needed to, to to make that be the case. Whereas Katniss went and you know, came to him afterwards and and he already sees that as a failure on her, a failing on her. And so when she then comes and he's already talked to Peta, I, I and he's already drunk himself and, and re traumatized and dealing with this other this issue, yeah, I I think that that's a really meaningful comment coming from him. That in the first time few times I read this, I think I just saw it as kind of a another kind of mean comment. But here I see it as a little bit more pointed to what Hamish is experiencing. Yeah, and I wonder if also it could be that, yeah, he's, he's angry at everything, mm-hmm. as, as he should be. And he's angry at her in particular because, yeah, Peta is more selfless in this way. Mm-hmm. I also kind of wonder if he's angry too because both, Peta and Katniss are coming here to ask him for something, but he has no one that would do the same for him. Yeah. Katniss is coming here to ask him to die Mm -hmm. for Peta. And Peta is asking to die for Katniss. But he knows that he's no one's top priority. He knows Mm -hmm. that nobody would do this for him. Um, so I wonder if that also is, like, difficult. I mean, and it is. It, it's a harder ask from Katniss yeah. than PETA. <laughs> because PETA's like, just put everything into saving her. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But saying volunteer to go back into the arena to die, that's a, that's a hard ask. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why she doesn't want to. And she even frames it as... If Pete is in there with me, let's make him survive and not me, mm-hmm. which is another important, crucial part of what she's asking. Yeah. But she's also asking him to volunteer. Ah, that's a rough situation. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But in addition to that, I'm going to add something that's a bit of a spoiler. Uh, if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead two minutes. Who doesn't want to be spoiled? Not me. Katniss. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that Hamish is part of a wider plan here. I wonder how much his desire to have him or Peta go into the arena is itself part of strategies for this wider plan. 
you know, I, I don't think that he necessarily has everything worked out as to what it will be at the end of the book. But I do think that he's already sees the importance of Katniss as a symbol and even the importance of Peeta as not only a symbol, but as someone who has skills that could be useful in that, that realm. And so he not only is dealing with having to revisit the most traumatic thing he's, that's ever happened to him in a really visceral way, but also that happening to two of the only people who are still alive who he cares about, but he's also has these other elements to deal with. Well, yeah, I mean, it says that she sees pain flicker yeah. across his eyes, right? And and I think a big part of it is that even as he's agreeing, he's in his head saying, no, I have to save you. Exactly. I don't want to save you, but I have to save you. Yeah, the guilt of that, I think, I mean, to choose her twice over PETA when he likes PETA more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's the guilt, the responsibility, the lying about this life and death thing and anticipating having to let Peter die. Yeah. So yeah, that that whole scene and thinking about that through Hamish's perspective really was just kind of powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The other thing that came up was, uh, which is really much, very much sparked by things that you've been talking about and thinking about PETA as someone who's dealing with depression, possibly mm-hmm. even suicidal ideation, is seeing his response to this news being self-sacrifice for Katniss. It kind of made me start thinking about how both Katniss and Hamish start drinking to kind of cope with this in a way that is self-destructive in the short term. Mm-hmm. But PETA makes a decision that is self-destructive in the long term. Mm. Um, and so while we don't see him getting drunk and overindulging in the same way they are, he is also indulging in something that is really destructive and, and could certainly be tied to the ideas that you've mentioned about him already having no value on his own life. Yeah, that's interesting, too, that you bring that up, because I know when people decide that they are going to kill themselves, they often are in a better mood Mm. or they're more focused on their certain tasks, the things that they want to get done before then and things like that. And um, we do see Peta here have a very singular focus. Mm -hmm. So that could be an interesting reading as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but but what perspectives did you want to talk about? Well, even though Katniss doesn't care about what anybody in the Capitol is thinking, I was thinking about Caesar Flickerman. Mm. And this announcement and having to commentate on things afterwards, I'm sure, or interview people and all of that. And just, you know, from our book one conversation about his point of view during the interviews, I was just kind of thinking about him, if we have that compassionate reading of Caesar, that he's definitely a part of the system, but maybe he feels like this is a very small way that he can at least help a couple people, you know, yeah, or make things not be as bad before they die. And then thinking about him feeling like that was all pointless in yeah. a way, because all of these people that he interviewed before their games, and then he did a post-games 
victory interview with them. He was the one who celebrated with them. Exactly. And they were the sole survivor out of all of those 24 kids he interviewed, except in Hamish's case, which is the 48 kids. And now 23 more of these survivors, of of the ones who made it out, are are The ones he could help. The ones he did help. Now. Yeah, now. in a small way, and now they're going to die. And he has to interview them before they die. Wow, that's really compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, he's in this privileged position. He's at no risk. But, like, still just on a very small personal level of just... Maybe if he felt he was doing just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of good in this terrible system, even that is undone which is a good thing right Mm -hmm. it's showing that like no you're actually not doing good because the system will still kill these people yeah and the system will still do whatever it wants for its aims and so your little piece in this isn't helping yeah exactly that's such a i think an important lesson yeah that's really fascinating this is i think one of the most intriguing things that i've thought about Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much for this. (laughs) It certainly wouldn't have come from me. Uh, Because, yeah, that that would not have come out without these conversations and without this specific practice of looking at things from another point of view. Mm -hmm. And in this case, not even a point of view that's on the page in these chapters. But, yeah, thinking about the extension of our earlier conversations about him and what, if you are trying to see the best in Caesar what that version of him would be experiencing at this point Mm -hmm. and what that can tell you about these oppressive systems outside of it. Yeah. And even for him, hopefully he goes into some soul searching Mm -hmm. after this news, but not only just that for his own personal life, but his family's history. Yeah. His father did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And... If this, I mean, I think legacies are are weird things that I'm like, well, whatever. To me, it seems like the type of thing, like, men like to leave mm. some, like, toxic, masculine, inflated sense of self and longevity or whatever. I don't think it always has to be that way, but that's, that's kind of what I think of when I think of the word. It's often the trope that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So to, to think about... If he's reevaluating his own complicity in this system, then he also has to be reevaluating his father's complicity in the system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other point of view I was thinking about is Johanna Mason, because she's in a very similar position mm-hmm. as Katniss. She is the only female victor from District 7. And so she hears this news. And she knows she is going in again. This, you know, this isn't a huge spoiler. Uh, we, we just, we know that she doesn't have that support system that Katniss does. Yeah. She doesn't have the, the mom and sister to, to comfort her. In. Or the, the teammates, the, the mm-hmm. tribute who went alongside her. She doesn't have another victor who's going to try to convince their mentor to yeah, save exactly. her, you know? So to just think, I was just thinking about like how alone she must have felt and how angry. And I just kind of pictured her taking one of her axes and just axing up her Victor's village house. 
<laughs> because that seems like something she would do. Yeah, it's a very, very much a destructive <laughs> response. Well, that, yeah. She's and... gone through half the Victor's Village houses in her village <laughs> just herself. <laughs> if they, if any of them were still standing, tonight they are going down. <laughs> you know, because also, like, thinking about the symbol of the Victor's Village house. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's all a lie. Yeah. It is all made a lie here. Yeah, so I was just thinking about her. So angry and wondering if maybe the next day or whatever, thinking about Katniss at all, knowing that she's in the same position. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as bad as it is for Katniss, and it is bad, it mm. is horrible, thinking about in certain ways it being different or worse for Johanna. Obviously, Johanna's had more time since she's won that she didn't have to go back in the arena, unlike Katniss. But um, also, if you didn't already hate the career districts, like I feel like you would, just for the fact of maybe they have 15, 20 more victors to, to reap from. So the likelihood you're going back in is much smaller mm-hmm. than these districts who hardly ever get a victor. Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about some depressing point of views, <laughs> why don't we talk about some touch points? This is sure to be uplifting. Yeah, always, every time. <laughs> so these are things that we are seeing in these chapters that correspond to things that we see in our own society. So what are you seeing? Yeah, so the the point where Katniss realizes and, and discusses with Hamish how she didn't meet any of the other victors on their victory tour. And Hamish talks about how they wouldn't want to have it look like victors are sympathetic to Katniss. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of just how historically we often don't hear about how there were alliances and meetings between people that show inconvenient histories for Mm. mainstream understandings of history. A couple that came to mind were, one thing I think that we see every February is, or at least I see it on my Instagram feed and things like that, is uh, some of Martin Luther King's anti-capitalist speeches and letters. Oh, absolutely. They're amazing. They're excellent, right? But we don't see much of that because it's not the picture of Martin Luther King that society wants to portray. It's inconvenient to think about him as having dealings or alliances with people who are Marxists or people who are pro-union or pro- or socialist or, or whatever it might be, which he was going to be a part of because he was part of a civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people who were part of civil rights movements were people who were progressives. <laughs> progressives are often leftists. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, if we have to talk about race... Let's do it in a silo. Mm -hmm. We can't talk about an intersection between race and economics. No, 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 no. That's going too far. Exactly. The other one that came to my mind was the uh, meetings of and the truce between L.A.'s gangs before, during, and after the L.A. riots in 1992, or the L.A. uprising, I should say. Hmm. Because it's something that many people don't know about, but after years and years of really intense gang violence in Los Angeles, really propelled by the crack epidemic with millions and millions of dollars being made through drugs, 
leading to greater enforcement of territory and things like that between gangs, so greater violence. Ultimately, there was a meeting between leaders of the Crips and Bloods and other gangs in Los Angeles that led to a truce that said, okay, no more inter-gang warfare because all of this is being sparked by the deterioration of our communities, joblessness, poverty, etc. And so let's have a non-violence pact that will make it so that we can focus on those elements of our community. And that's not what we hear about when we hear about gangs in the 1990s in Los Angeles. <laughs> we hear about the LA uprising and how black people were violent and, and all these other kinds of things without seeing the much wider context of not only these wider systems that were building an environment in which the, that violence was a response to, but also the way that the community itself tried to build answers to that violence. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, guess what? The LAPD didn't care. LAPD continued to enact policies that ultimately led to the dissolution of this truce rather than being like, this is great. Let's work with these yeah. leaders because, like it or not, they're community Or leaders. maybe they're doing a better job than anything we're doing. Can't have that. <laughs> no, we need military equipment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is one of the times of intense militarization of the LAPD. I say one of the times because there's a lot of those times. It hasn't only happened once. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So yeah, it's uh, just the, those kinds of histories of, in this case, where we see Katniss as a troublesome figure, we don't want to, you know, the capital does not want to portray her in a light that makes it so that people would, people in the districts would want to sympathize with her. And so keeping her away from other sympathetic people is a way of doing that. But a lot of that is telling stories that are incomplete. And that's certainly what happens a lot in history, too. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that. The other touch point that I want to talk about is a little bit more personal. I was really touched by... Kat you touch-pointed? I was touch-pointed when Katniss and Peeta were watching the tape and they saw Katniss's mom and Madge's mom mm. and their reactions to Maisley Donner's reaping. It just made me think about my own personal passion for local history. Hmm. Because as much as I've always loved history and, and thought that learning about histories is a really fascinating and important subject, it was only relatively recently that I became inv invested in local histories. I think a lot of that was because I was experiencing something similar to what Katniss experiences at this moment, which is seeing your community in history. And for me, you know, I, I don't actually have a lot of family uh, stories that are really deeply impacted by larger historical movements, at least that I know of, but being tied to physical locations that I've been to or that I find powerful has been really interesting. And so that started with me doing walking tours, but being able to see how architecture and uh, memorialization and heritage and all these things that are part of history um, are also still seen in our society and in your community, I think have made it so that I have been able to relate histories to my own experiences and to my own surroundings in a way that has been very powerful for me. And here Katniss, you know, in a very dark way in this case, is experiencing something similar where she's seeing her own mother in this tape of a reaping and seeing this really, frankly, important historical event, the last quarter quell, 
uh, an event that I'm sure everyone who's alive at the time remembers well, and how her mother experienced it, how her friend's mother experienced it. It just makes that event so much more visceral and so much more poignant. Yeah, that's just something that that is one of the reasons I think history generally is powerful, but in particular, histories that do tie to what you're interested in, what you've experienced. Um, right now, I've got, in one of my classes, all of my students are giving presentations and they're able to choose the topic. And my students, which are a majority Latino Latinx, are in large numbers choosing things like the spread of Chicano culture or Mexican food or other kinds of things that relate to their own interests, their own passions, their own experiences, um, which I find, uh, it's just great to see them finding that same kind of interest and passion for history and, and those connections. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, during the, the pandemic, actually, one of my sisters and I uncovered some documents from the Japanese side of my family. And, you know, we'd heard a story here or there about my grandmother working in a bar in little Tokyo, but then actually seeing like the paperwork for it mm. and seeing Elise. And I was like, oh, wait, did they run? this you know and it just a lot of questions popping up and now i want to go to where that address is obviously it doesn't exist as it was yeah. unfortunately but a building that i wouldn't have thought about or cared about necessarily now suddenly has can have meaning um in a location that it, it didn't before absolutely yeah yeah and it even looking at the book gives more context or, or a different context to Madge getting the morphling from her mom mm. to give to Katniss. Yeah. Uh, because her mom, when she thinks of Katniss's mom, must think of her sister, must think yeah. of their relationship. And so, yeah, there, there's difference there that informs their actions and, and just their history with each other as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? What are your touch points? One I was thinking about is housing mm. and the fact that she breaks into an empty Victor's Village house. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about all of these houses just sitting there. There's a groundskeeper for Victor's Village, right? That they mentioned previously. And just like thinking about somebody going and taking care of these empty houses mm -hmm. when there are other people who freeze to death in the winter because they don't have a house that's insulated in the seam or whatever it is and or they get sick and that leads to their death because they're malnourished and just thinking about these empty houses sitting here that that is definitely what happens in our world there's empty houses there's luxury apartments that are just empty because they don't want to create affordable housing with them mm -hmm. they would rather them sit empty and then not get any money for it for years than rent it to someone for less who actually needs it um yeah and obviously los angeles has a a very large unsheltered population and it's just like and there are places sitting empty is just capitalism capitalism yeah yes capitalism <laughs> very very much capitalism i'll take the explicit tag itunes it's worth it 
Yeah, they're going to pick up on capitalism. They absolutely are. Because crap is an explicit word. <laughs> it is when it's tied to capitalism. <laughs> it's just any negative thing about capitalism, really, is probably what iTunes is going to be like. No, no, no. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about is how we don't know what happened to the other two tributes from District 12 in mm. Hamish's year. We know what happens to him. We know what happens to Maisley. But we, we don't even know their names. And we don't know how they died. It's obviously much, much, much more likely that they're coming from the seam. One of them we know was coming from the seam. But probably both, considering that the kids from the seam have to take Tesserae out. So I was just thinking about, in the context of reading the seam as more indigenous, the disappearance of indigenous kids. Mm how that's been a huge part of the United States' history, the history of Canada, yeah. Australia, all of these different places, and that still continues to this day. Yeah, just people who are disappeared, many young girls being sex trafficked, all of these things that oftentimes the government refuses to look into um, and investigate. Apparently, uh, this one article I was looking at in Australia with their indigenous population, indigenous young people make up less than 6% of the Australian population under 18, but they comp comprise 20% of the missing children. Wow. And there have been thousands and thousands of missing indigenous kid reports in the United States and Canada and stuff as well. And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about that because those other two kids, we just, we have no idea yeah. their names, what happened to them, and it's not viewed as important or, or worth telling. Yeah. I think I recently saw an article that said that for the first time ever, the American government released data on the number of indigenous children who were injured or killed at the boarding schools that they were mm. forced into. Yeah, the fact that that data has never even been compiled mm -hmm. yet and certainly is going to be incomplete now is uh, very telling. Absolutely. Well, going from that, <laughs> should, we, uh, should we go to our wonderments? Yeah, I, I really only have one that's on my mind right now, and that is the extent to which the victors embody hope, as Katniss man maintains. She reflects on how the Quarter Quell's reasoning is about how even the strongest amongst the districts cannot overcome the power of the capital. Mm -hmm. And this is showing how what she calls the beacons of hopes for the, for the districts, the victors, are themselves being reaped again. They are shown that even they don't have hope in the face of the capital. But it made me start thinking, yeah, to, to what extent are they symbols of hope? For one, I can imagine just generally that when someone sees even a victor, they don't necessarily see, oh, look at how hopeful this person is. Sure, they aren't experiencing poverty the same way, but they're also clearly went through something awful in the case of someone like Hamish, has completely affected the way they engage with the world. Mm -hmm. Like, in District 12 at least, I can't imagine them seeing Hamish as a symbol of hope. Yeah. 
prior to this. Uh, and in similar districts, like we'll see the, the district of the Morphlings. Um, I, I wonder if that's, that's the case. I can imagine in other districts it might be more so, but yeah, it just, it made me think we only get to see much of District 12, and there I haven't really seen something that would make me view the districts these way. It make it feels more like a capital vision of the tributes to me. I'm sorry, of the victors to me, because the capital has this idea of the victors as these symbols of so many things, and yeah, I just, I, I wonder if there's a disconnect here between what the capital is putting forward as what the victor symbolize and what they actually symbolize to people in districts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Like what they talked about in the movie, this this wasn't in the book, but in the first movie, there was a conversation between Snow and Seneca Crane when he was like, why, don't, mm-hmm. why wouldn't we just line up 24 kids you know two from each district and just kill them Mm. but you have to have one that survives to provide that little bit of hope Mm. that they could be you know if if you're going to be reaped you could maybe be the one that survives because without that you're not going to fight each other you're just going to die or kill yourself or whatever it is right you have to have the hope that you could get out of this and you know get those small amounts of perks including the perks that your district gets Mm -hmm. but yeah the farther away your district is from having had a victor Mm -hmm. and the more they just see them alone and miserable yeah it, it it would feel quite different i imagine absolutely yeah what about you what are you wondering about I was wondering about in the midst of people cracking down on the district so much, why Katniss, Hamish, and Peta are able to train. Mm. It's against the rules, so I could imagine it could be a great time to, even if you're not going to kill them, right, because you want them on screen to die, but like maybe you imprison them. And so they can't train, so then they are going to die even more likely and, you know, things like that. So I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Are there other internal politics going on that are leading to that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or is it that they, they do want them in better shape? Like, maybe they have the plan of, we will make sure that Katniss and Peeta die. By mutts or by whatever it is, they will die so they are not the soul-ending victor. So it doesn't matter if they train, and if they train, then it will be a better show, and they'll survive a little longer, so it'll be more entertaining, so that their deaths will be even more climactic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know, but I, I was just something I was kind of wondering about. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, before we close out this episode, why don't we do our intentions? This is something that we're taking from this conversation or from these chapters that we kind of want to apply to our life in a specific way. Yeah, so my intention is is related to my touch point on those personal histories. Mm. Something that I've had kind of in the back of my mind for the last year and a half or so um, since my father passed is how I lost so many of those histories mm-hmm. when he, he passed. 
Yeah. And how I don't want that to be the case with other members of my family, in particular my mother. And so I've been thinking about, you know, trying to do some kind of oral history project with her where I, I ask her what it was like to experience growing up in Los Angeles and experiencing all these important historical events from the 60s and through today. Um, but I haven't ever gotten around to doing it. And so I think my intention for- Summer me, project. Exactly. Yeah. Is as I'm getting into the summer, um, really prioritizing making that happen. My intention is to take the questions that you draw up and then do the same thing for my parents. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> Do you have another actual intention? I do, yeah. Not That's just good. the one I'm stealing. <laughs> <laughs> the other intention that I have is coming from when she was thinking about that she was focusing on her potential opponents in the arena. She was thinking about them rather than her team, her mm. allies in this. And that when she was thinking about her team, when she was thinking about Hamish and how clever he is and... PETA and Effie and you know they're finally on this train together and they're all working for a common goal even if PETA and Katniss are working towards opposite goals but they're all very capable people and her feeling a little more hopeful once she was thinking about that Mm -hmm. and so yeah just my intention is sometimes like it can be easier to focus on like all of the people who hate me you know in in a systemic way Mm. rather than all of the people who are on your team or or are your allies in this and so yeah just even when things feel terrible and hopeless again like we mentioned in I think last episode, you know, with the Rogi Wade stuff and, you know, just bringing these conversations up and and all of the anti-queer, anti-trans bills that are being put forward in all different states around the country. Also trying to take some time to, like, focus also on the team, the allies that are fighting back. Mm, that's nice. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode's conversation, but we do have a special announcement, right? Yeah, so this is just being thrown out there to any of you listeners who would like to volunteer to help us with something. It's been a while that we've wanted to provide transcripts for our podcast episodes Mm -hmm. for anybody who is hard of hearing, but we just haven't had the resources or the time availability to be able to do that. I have gotten some and all of our book one put through a automated transcript service, but it doesn't do a perfect job. So what it would be is just you would listen to the actual episode and edit those transcripts. So the bulk of it's there, but it will probably be missing some things like how do you spell Cinna and they'll Mm. like, you know, ruin it. So if you are interested in volunteering for us or just want, would be like, yes, I can do two of those or anything like that, please contact us. You can email us at geekbetween at gmail.com or you can contact us on any of the social media platforms that we're on. So if you're interested in helping us out in that way, that would be amazing and would help our podcast be even more of what we would like it to be. Yeah, we'd be really, really grateful. Okay, well, what's happening next week on The Hunger Games? 
Because a lot happens in the next chapter, we're only going to be reading one chapter. Just read chapter 15. Where Katniss is offered a sugar cube. Oh, by whom? You'll have to wait and find out. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We'd love for you to become a supporter on Patreon so you can get access to all the extra content that we create, the book club that we're doing, and to help us keep the show sustainable. Another way you can help the show is by telling a friend about it. If you're enjoying this read-through, you love The Hunger Games, tell a friend. They can always catch up and then read along with us. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Castell at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek Geek out. out!